Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, the Tories stuck the fight on universal credit. If people choose not to take part in a division, they can't suddenly say, oh, well, we didn't lose. Davis accuses the EU of a stick-up. And they're using time pressure to see if they can get more money out of us. And bluntly, that's what's going on. It's obvious to anybody. More protection for emergency workers. But is the change in the law enough? Even when it's reported to the police, quite often the police don't do anything about it. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. This week's episode of Commons People is brought to you by Tide, the nimble small business banking service. More of that later on. Joining me this week, I have Kate Forrester. Hello, Kate. Hello. Mr. Paul Wall, how are you, Paul? Hello, I'm fine. And Rachel Wehrmuth, how are you, Rachel? I'm very well, thank you. Good, well. excellent. Everyone's in, everyone's in good form, I feel, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's crack on with universal credit. Theresa May has suffered fresh embarrassment over the expansion of the government's flagship benefit reform after Labour secured a symbolic victory in Parliament to underline the deep unease over the policy. After Tory MPs abstained en masse from the vote, a Labour motion calling for the government to pause the rollout passed with no opposition at all. Yes, 299 MPs voted for the motion, not a single voting against it. Labour MPs shouted resign as a result was read out. Now, before we talk about the Tories, or rather the lack of them, let's hear about the debate itself. Kate, you were keeping an eye on this. Give us a bit of, bit of a flavour of the debate, because the Tories didn't vote, as we know, but did they turn up to actually stick up for the policy? Uh, some of them did, yeah. Um, a fair few. Sarah Wollaston, Heidi Allen. Sarah Wollaston, who actually voted against the government in the end. She was the only Tory MP who did. So we have a little clip of Sarah Wollaston, because we've yep. got here. But in this clip, she begins by praising the government for making the helpline a free phone number. We talked about that last week. But then she goes on to raise some more concerns. But it doesn't get us away from the fundamental problem of a minimum six-week wait. And that means that our constituents who are living on the edge, and we're talking about real people's lives here, are going to start this process in debt and in arrears, as we have heard. As you said, she was the only Tory to, to vote with Labour. So what was the kind of, what was the, the Sarah Wilson aside, what was the kind of Tory defence of they defending the policy, were they defending the role? What, were they, what was the view there? So the Tories say that universal credit, essentially it combines all of the six main benefits into one single monthly payment. So the idea is it makes the whole system less complicated, easier to understand, easier for people to get help, easier for people to manage their income on benefits. And it also supplements people's um, income if they're on low paid jobs. So the idea is to make it easier to get more people into work the opposition MPs agree with this largely. Um, so the Labour, F- Labour back the policy, don't they? They, they essentially back the policy. They think it's a good idea to sort of streamline the system. Um, and the Tories argue that it's working because it's getting more people into work. They say the figures show it's helping more people get into work quicker. So the issues that many of them have, opposition and Tory MPs, is that um, there are delays to the first payment. 
So claimants have to wait up to six weeks to receive their first payment. They can ask for an advance if they're str- if they're going to be struggling, but that's only for up to three weeks. Um, so as a result, lots of people are out of pocket and therefore falling into rent arrears, falling into debt. And basically, Tory MPs are against it, so you can't ignore the hardship stories that countless MPs are coming up with from their constituencies because these things are actually happening. What I don't understand is a lot of the Tory MPs are standing up and saying this, so why didn't they you know, follow Sarah Wollaston yesterday and vote against it? I mean, Paul, this is something you've written about quite a lot. Well, I think... The the problem here, as always, if you're a Tory rebel, you know, how far do you push your rebellion? And let's be honest, even the threat of them voting with Labour on this opposition day managed to persuade the government in the end to do a U-turn on the thing, on the premium rate 55p a minute hotline that's supposed to help people on universal credit. So you can say if you're a Tory rebel, look, the very threat of us voting with Labour on this thing um, persuaded or forced the government to act. Now, obviously, Labour would say that it, it was the main driver. But, you know, when you've got DUP in this whole uh, equation to remember, the government doesn't have a majority. So if you're looking at an opposition day debate then naturally you're already on the defensive. If the DUP, and they have publicly said they're uneasy about universal credit rollout, then you're already at a disadvantage. So as a government, it's a sensible thing to try and avoid a big row. But unfortunately, the way they did it, I think, and we can come on to the procedural bits in a minute, um, made them look as though they'd lost not just authority because they did a U-turn like a week too late after Jeremy Corbyn raised it on that phone line, but also they'd lost kind of control really of, of, of the agenda. And I think that's why they didn't need necessarily to, to rebel at all yesterday. Sarah Walston, you know, fall through on her principles, but the rest of them might say, look, we're already being offered more concessions down the line, so it's working. So obviously they didn't turn up to vote. This is the, the, the new normal, I think, or yeah. well, maybe it's going to be, that on these opportunities, day debates which aren't binding the government are just saying we're not going to turn up to them here's uh speaker john burke a couple of clips we put together here are very much giving his views on the matter so if people choose not to take part in a division they can't suddenly say oh well we didn't lose <laughs> uh, sorry we are elected to come to this place to debate and to decide what our position is on motions. If people choose not to vote, that's perfectly in order, as I've explained, but the motion was carried. I think it highly desirable that the government, in the light of the result, should come to the House and show respect for the institution by indicating what it intends to do. So, I mean... Surely this can't continue. Surely the government... I mean, we had the, another MP, was it Edward Garnier, stood up and said, you know, this is not a university debating club. This has to be... Yes, yeah, Sir Edward Lee, yeah. Sir Edward Lee said that. And, you know, it has to be... I think that's the problem the with this. Parliament. Yeah, and a lot of the constitutional Tories like Edward Lee and Peter Bone got up and points of order that they made last night were that, look... If the government is really going to constantly ignore opposition day votes, what's the point of us being here? You know, Edward Lee said, I've been here 34 years and I've hundreds of times have trooped through the lobbies on opposition day debates because we were told they matter. And, And he was saying, you know, I really don't want a situation where basically the will of the House, as it's expressed, is ignored. Now... 
government might say, and a few, I got a few texts from MPs last night saying, Tory MPs who are loyal to the government, saying, look, you're making a big, moho, big song and dance out of this for no reason. Look, it's obviously just a political gimmick and opposition day debate. Everyone knows what's going on. We've just sort of laid bare how, what a gimmick it is by not taking part in it. The problem with that... Exposing argu- 150 years of parliamentary judiciary. Well, the problem with that is, ultimately, as John Burko was implying, you know, there is some, there has to still be a sense of respect for parliament by the government. There has to be, even if they don't really believe it, they have to say they believe it. Because if you start going down the line where I don't respect the will of the House and it has been expressed, you undermine the entire institution itself. And that's the real problem, I think. And it's it's a genuine problem. Um, Now, obviously, let's see what happens on the next opposition day debate. I think it's all comes down to whether or not the DUP and a number of Tory rebels are, 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 are attracted to the wording of a Labour motion. Um, and that, that's what we'll all be down. There might be another opposition day debate, which is, you know, so extreme that, that the Tory rebels would never even touch it on the DUP would vote against it. So the government, who knows? But the messages we were getting from the government is that this is all sideshow and we're not having an, anything to do with it anymore. So Rachel, Labour have got uh, quite a sort of tight rope here because they want to put down opposition day debate motions that are going to sort of highlight what they don't like about the Tories. But if they start making it too extreme, then the Tories will turn up and start defeating them. So they've got to be very clever, haven't they, with how they word these things? Well, I guess they do, but I would also say there's got to be a place for debate and the Conservatives have got to be able to defend their position and people should hear them doing as much, shouldn't they? I mean, unless we're going to go to a complete direct democracy where everything's decided by a referendum all the time. And I mean, that's not exactly been beneficial for public debate so far, has it? I mean, oh, some people might say it has been some <laughs> Brexiteers. That's the argument that the, the government is making. Look, we, we do turn up, we debate. And, you know, as Kate said, you know, lots of Tories in this debate defending the government. So they, they say the debate is full and it's had. It's just that the vote, the gimmick of the vote at the end, we're not going to have it of Labour putting on their leaflets in the election saying Tory MP voted against, you know, women and children. No, they're going to have Tory MPs that going to bother turning up to too busy running the line in the Barcelona game as one of them. Well, was. that was nice, wasn't it? But that, that's why I was texted last night by a Tory MP, a backbencher, who let's be fair, isn't a fan of the Prime Minister and told me, look, down, mate. And, and, <laughs> and told me, look, he couldn't believe it. He read out the whip, Chief Whip's instruction that everyone was t- texted and it, it's read as normal. There will be a three-line whip on the Opposition Day debate motion and then he scrolled down to abstain and he said it was so ridiculous he said look uh, and, and I quote it makes us look so pathetic so incapacitated and so inadequate if we can't even be uh, morale if we can't even be marshaled to vote on a key flagship policy like universal credit a three line a three line whip to abstain I mean yeah. I mean the last time that happened curiously really don't do anything, yeah. you know last time there was a three line whip to abstain Jeremy Corbyn on the Brexit bill Really? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Everyone forgets yeah. this. Yeah. And why didn't the Tory ministers mention that last night? Yeah. See, well, again, flat-footed, Ooh, you, well, Don't this on the podcast. You could charge the Tories a lot of money for a consultancy, <laughs> yeah. giving away that kind of gold on the podcast. Now, there was a little bit of, uh, it, you know, it was serious matter, obviously, but uh, Neil Coyle decided to make a, have a little bit of fun at the expense of our good friend Ian Duncan-Smith. Uh, let's have a listen. He seems to be acknowledging that universal support hasn't worked for everyone, so does he agree that universal credit has been almost as bad for some of the people affected as online reviews of his The Devil's Due novel? Frighteningly bad, rubbish, utter drivel, hilariously awful, and an outstanding compendium of bottom gravy. I I thought that was a reference to his speaking ability in the House, to be quite frank with you. We mentioned the book on the podcast before, and Paul, you'd forgotten that IDS had written this book, hadn't you? I Devil's had forgotten. Now, this leads us into nicely to this week's quiz. Oh, oh, yes. Please tell me the quiz isn't about bottom gravy. Is this, it going to be about the reviews? This quiz 
I'm going to read you out a review from Amazon of a book. Oh. You need to tell me if it's of Ian Duncan Smith's book or one of my books. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. We've gone, we which books, we've which gone books full self-referential, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> right. If it's Ian okay. Duncan Smith, it's ID Yes. Yeah, oh, that's good. And if it's Owen Bennett, then it's OJ Bad. Shouldn't it be ID No? No, OJ Bad, because I'm OJP. Okay. 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 So let me read you out. Okay. So what, uh, sorry, what, which was which again? ID Yes, it was Ian Duncan Smith. Right. OJ Bad, if it's a review of my book, okay? Oh, my God. This book is garbage. Do not buy it. Well, that narrows it down, doesn't it? <laughs> That's got. It's, it's got to be you, OJ Bad. It's got to be. Think, I think OJ Bad. What do you reckon? I'm going to be kind. I'm going to say IDS. Uh, it was OJ Bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which bre- book was it, the by Brexit the way? The Brexit Club, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Not a popular book. Uh, <laughs> I love to read and live to read, but this book makes me want to stop. Oh, that's got to be ID, yes. I like it. It's, it's someone's had a bit of considered thought about attacking a Tory uh, author. Feels a bit harsh. Um it's, it's, yes. it's too well thought out to be one of your critics. <laughs> oh, you want to see what's coming next? <laughs> Rachel? Um, IDS. It is IDS. It's yes. The IDS one's <laughs> difficult because most of them were people who hadn't read the book and were just slagging him off. As yeah, as well. uh, Like you as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have never read anything this bad and I suspect I never will. Oh, that's good. That's going to be IDS. That's, again, it's quite elegant. Really Bit of thought funny. there. Sorry, but I reckon it's OJ bad. <laughs> I'm guessing for how much you're laughing, it's OJ bad. No, it's ID, yes. (laughs) I've got three out of three. I'm on Kate Forrester territory here. Um, I hope this book would be good and interesting. Sadly, it is the most awful rubbish. My advice would be spend your money on something more interesting, like the history of welding. Alternatively, donate the money you have spent on this book to the home for the permanently bewildered. Wow. Home for the permanently bewildered. That's good. I like that. Someone's put a lot of thought into that. What do you reckon then? Is it ID yes or OJ bad? Let's go for OJ bad, just to sort of balance it out a bit. (laughs) Okay. Come on. I really feel like I'm being mean. I reckon it's another one of yours. That was a review of following four. Yes. Yes. Uh, Four out of four. I would rate this book zero stars if I could. Such wasted time reading this dribble. Honestly, this (laughs) book is that bad, I contemplated using it as toilet paper, but the book doesn't even deserve to touch my backside. Ooh, harsh. I reckon you've you've hunted out a parallel with um, the IDS debate. Yeah, you're heading bottomwards there, (laughs) aren't you? (laughs) I think that's IDS. No, that was a review of Following for Ah! (laughs) Us. Yeah. It's good for the soul, isn't it? For you. And finally, this is a tome that she read behind closed doors and left behind by said reader when leaving the lavatory for others to use in lieu of toilet tissue. Oh, very clever. Um, That's going to be IDS. Yeah, I agree. ID, yes. Almost poetic. <laughs> yeah. ID, yes. That is, that is ID, yes. So that was this week's, that was this week's Excellent. Quiz. How are you feeling, mate? Uh, it's good. It's good <laughs> to just get a, a real pummeling to your ego. Not there been more people who read those reviews than read your book? Uh, I don't know who reads my book. I know people buy it. I don't know how many people then go on to read it. Ah. Uh, but yeah, so... Uh, other books are available. I mean, most of the reviews of my books are basically by Tim Shipman's is much better. So that's nice. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, true. I have got a point. I have got a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, before we move on to the next topic, I just want to flag up Tide, who are sponsoring us today. As I said last week, Tide is a fantastic mobile and web-based banking service uh, set up to help small businesses take care of their accounts with ease, giving people 
one less thing to worry about. I know a lot of small business owners uh, listen to the podcast. Of course they do. They're very sensible and they have a time is money. And anything you can do to free up a bit of time is a massive bonus. It's got handy tools such as automated bookkeeping, team access, expense management and invoice assist. So go to www.tide.co forward slash people for more details. Now we flagged this up last week. I went and had a little look at the app and I've got to say it does look really good. It's got some good reviews. Uh, just excellent says Flick Harris. Easy to use and reliable says Anthony Boa. Perfect for any startup or small businesses says one reviewer who used to be a banker. So I guess that he must know about money. Those reviews are better stuff. than your book. They're much they? better than must my be book. Frank. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody wants to get... No, don't, because <laughs> Tides, are, I'm sure it's like much better put on anything I ever did. Uh, it takes less than five minutes to set it up. And guess what, people? Because we know you, you like free stuff. Who doesn't? You've got a free offer. Uh, if you go to www.tide.co forward slash people, use a promo code people, your account will be free for the first six months. Absolutely free for six months. Six months free transfers. And after six months, your account will become a pay-as-you-go account with no monthly fees to pay ever. So uh, visit www.tide.co tide.co forward slash people type in the promo code people and you get free stuff on this app which actually genuinely seems to be quite good looking at it so yeah it's good for everyone so check it out uh let's go back to the podcast let's go back to uh theresa may who is off to brussels today to discover if the e27 believes sufficient progress has been made in the first stage of the brexit talks spoiler alert it hasn't on Tuesday, David Davis set out his own reasons for why the talks have stalled. The simple truth is, of course, we're in a negotiation and they're using time pressure to see if they can get more money out of us. And bluntly, that's what's going on. It's obvious to anybody uh, and that will take some time. But we'll get there in time, I'm quite sure, to get a decent outcome for everybody. Even if it is all about the money, as Davis says, there is still the issue of citizens' rights to solve. In a bid to make headway, the PM posted an open letter to EU citizens on her Facebook page today, reassuring them they are not being used as bargain chips. Hmm, not sure about that. Anyway, May promised the process for registering to stay will be streamlined and EU citizens have a direct say over how it will work. Anyway, it's still not clear what rights EU citizens in the UK will enjoy after Brexit. Let's talk about this, this Brexit thing. She's going along uh, to the, the summit. I mean, by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast will know the outcome. I think we can guess it. There's not going to be yep. sufficient progress. How much of a humiliation is this for the Prime Minister? I actually don't think it is a humiliation. You know, look. It's a rarity. You know, I think that I've been thinking about this a lot in the last 24 hours. And I was thinking, look, if this is a negotiation, any serious negotiation does have bumps in the road. You know, it's going to be tough. Both sides ultimately in diplomacy have to give ground. And what's going to happen is that both sides will, will give ground by December, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it'll tip over into January. There might be a bit of a, of, of a palaver about when it's going to happen. But I reckon in the next few months... There's going to be a a serious deal hammered out between us and Brussels. And it won't be great for the Eurosceptics because it will maybe involve more than 20 billion going to Brussels. Um, But it won't be great for Brussels because basically they'll they'll have to admit, finally, we're talking about trade and we're doing what the British government always said we need to do. We're not going to be held to ransom. So I think... And then they'll have to sell it to the respective audiences, each of them, and say, actually, no, no, we're not betraying you. We're, We're just being sensible. So... That's why what happens next month is going to really matter before the December EU summit when when we come back to this. Because in November, all the experts in Brussels are suggesting, look, that's when the real business is going to be hammered out. And there'll be this thing called an audit of uh, liabilities. So Britain will have to set out on paper uh, in this negotiation, look, we think we owe 
for this bit of your your activity, we don't think we owe this. We think this is legal. We don't think that's legal. We haven't got any real legal liabilities. It's a bit like in a divorce and the lawyer's suddenly getting involved and the lawyer's going through everything. And then both parties saying, actually, you know, all right, well, we can live with that. And I suspect that's what's going to happen. The, the, the really important thing politically for May, you talk about humiliation, is she will make damn sure that no one comes up with a figure off the back of that audit. So she won't be able to say, people will say, oh, suddenly it's now 30 billion. Uh, because as soon as that happens, people like John Redwood have made absolutely clear, Owen Patterson, everyone else have made absolutely clear, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Before we uh, ask you, Rachel, about the, about the Labour's policy, because it's a bit confusing, um, interesting it happened yesterday when we had a briefing with the PM's spokesperson, and we asked about this sufficient progress, and they kept saying, and David Davis said this on, on Tuesday as well, the sufficient progress has always been a term the EU have come up with, and therefore the UK yeah. don't recognise it. So, yeah. I made, so I sort of said to him, so you're telling me that on those day one of those first negotiations when the EU said, Okay, we'll do the trade this way, and then when it's sufficient progress, we'll move on to the next bit. No one asked, "What do you mean by sufficient progress?" You agree to assist. You agree to a way of marking this work without asking what the marking guidelines were, and the PM spokesman couldn't really answer that. And I yeah. just thought, so either they're not telling us the truth, heaven forbid, or they literally didn't bother to ask what the EU be measuring this against. I mean, talk about losing the first day. Oh, I disagree. I think actually this is a dynamic process negotiation. There aren't any rules. Don't forget. There's no sort of you know, checklist you can measure against. But there is, because EU've got one. No, no. Well, they've got one. Doesn't mean we have to sign up to it. We you can know, at least look at it. We can at least ask what it is. Surely. I know, but I, I genuinely think a lot of this has been overdone. And if, and as I expect, there is, famous last words, that there is some kind of deal done in December, people look back on this and think, God, what a lot of heat and noise over nothing. That's you journalism, know? though, isn't it? We can't be, if we start knocking <laughs> that down, we're not the right about Rachel, Labour's position does it make sense for labor to say essentially you've got to take no deal off the table um i guess the question that you come back to there is just how much does the eu care about no deal are they does it really 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 worry them or not <laughs> um i think there was a bit of a barney between um starmer and davis earlier this week on um i think Keir starmer's always kind of said well you know we should think about how much we're going we're going to pay um and David Davis came back and said, well, how much would you pay? <laughs> and he said, oh, well, um, and Starmer replied, well, I think we should just be transparent about this. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you should, not us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we looked at kind of the uh, Theresa May's article, 50 letter yeah. as well, and um, kind of seven ways she's reneged on You marked her homework, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do we, what do we, we what like do we this get? a lot. Seven yeah. ways, was it? Um, yeah, so uh, her Article 50 letter um, said, we should engage with one another constructively and respectively and in a spirit of sincere cooperation. She quickly followed that up with um, her general election, um, <laughs> which said uh, threats have been made against Britain. Um, they're interfering. Um, they're misrepresenting us. And Boris said, oh, well, they can go and whistle for their Brexit bill as well. So there's kind of, there's another six ways which the, she's just kind of turned around and completely changed all of this. I mean, I don't know if you want me to go It was very popular, the, the piece you wrote about that. I mean, it got lots and lots of traffic. And it just goes to show, actually, if you can boil it down to, look, this is, remind everyone, this is what Theresa May said right at the beginning. This is what she said to Brussels. And we're marking whether or not she's done any of these things. Yeah. Um, it's a useful sort of reminder that actually, you know, yeah, she some said of this can be marked. We should always put our citizens first and we've still got no no deal on um, EU citizens. Um, she wanted parallel talks on um, the Brexit bill yeah, and, and trade, the, and the, she, did, the she didn't get that. The round of the going to be, and David Davis conceded within 20 minutes of walking into the room. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, Angela Merkel basically said, mm, I'm, I'm the only iron lady around here. Um, <laughs> she said um, she wanted minimum disruption. Um, if inflation's now hit 3%, we've seen a fall in tax receipts. Um, she said we should pay attention to the UK's unique relationship with Ireland and Northern Ireland. We've got no deal on the hard border. Um, she said we should begin technical talks as soon as possible. Um, Barney said repeatedly there's been no decisive progress. Um, meanwhile, we're saying be imaginative, be, f- be flexible, which kind of just... That's the Nobody sort of thing that, like, what that means. Yeah, like a, a sort of consultancy comes in and goes, right, guys, it's being imaginative and flexible and not actually give any... <laughs> it's like W1A, yeah. isn't it? Like yeah. Perfect blue curve. skies, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then finally, she said, we should work together to advance and protect our shared European values. Um, and Home Secretary Amber Rudd has sent um, hundred, uh, well, a thousand deportation letters to EU citizens. So that's kind Incorrectly, of... Incorrectly. I must have <laughs> added there before we get the, well, the letter ourselves. Okay, this EU citizen's letter today, you mm. said we're not going to use them as bargaining chips. Please don't feel like that. I mean, that's rubbish, right? <laughs> because they have been used as bargaining chips. Well, yeah, kind of. And I mean, the government admitted last week what their actual error was was when they sent all those letters out. Essentially, they misinterpreted their own consequence of people applying for um, a citizenship uh, registration certificate, which you apply for if you want citizenship or you're trying to get your spouse over essentially um and yeah they misinterpreted their own rules on that and that's why loads of people got deportation letters so i mean it's not it's not started particularly well has no, it can't, you know they've got to process 3.2 million applications in two years mm-hmm. after brexit so it doesn't bear well for that anyway we'll be talking about that me- for the rest of our lives no, <laughs> no i hope now. not <laughs> you will be <laughs> i'm bored of it you know are you that's really bad isn't it does that mean you're bored of my Brexit? Briefly? I think that's a normal mm. human reaction. Yeah. Am I the only person that's not bored of Brexit? You've yeah. got a book on it, man. I have, yeah. A very poorly reviewed book, as we've discovered. <laughs> anyway, let's move on, shall we? A new law to protect emergency service workers from assault in the line of duty is set to get the go-ahead from the government, the HuffPost revealed. This week, a private member's bill drafted by Labour MP Chris Bryant is set to get ministerial backing after huge public and cross-party support. Paul, uh, you, t- you you sort of led the way reporting this, as always. Do you want to just talk us through it? Well, I talked to quite a lot of these um, emergency workers this week. There were several of them who came to Parliament for a lobby, paramedics, nurses, police, British transport police officers. Uh, and I talked to Nikki Williams, who's an A&E sister in a London hospital. Here's what she had to say. There's supposed to be zero tolerance um, towards, uh, how do I word this? Zero tolerance, tolerance for yeah, or aggression towards, towards staff. Yeah. But in reality, that doesn't exist. So even when it's reported to the police, quite often the police don't do anything about it, particularly if they're psychiatric, intoxicated or have learning disabilities and things like that. So it can be really, really difficult. But a lot of the time people just aren't very nice and I don't think being drunk should be an excuse to get away with being verbally or physically abusive or aggressive towards people. So just recently I called the police because a intoxicated man and his intoxicated relative were in A&E after he had a head injury. He then was incredibly rude, <coughs> swearing, being very intimidating. He didn't punch me, he didn't hit me, he didn't kick me. It's just their manner was very, very intimidating. So I stayed behind the desk where I then got a barrage of abuse, 
got a bag of IV fluid thrown across the room, which then flicked into other people's cubicles. He pulled his cannula out, so there was blood flicked, um, which thankfully didn't get me. But we called the police, and after I made a statement, about a week or so later, I got a reply saying that they weren't going to take it any further because it wasn't in the public interest. The background to this is that um, new figures have showed that assaults on emergency service workers have increased in recent years. I mean, attacks against police have nearly tripled across some parts of the UK in the past five years. And there was a paramedic who had a substance thrown in her face, wasn't there? I think in London yeah. a couple of months ago. And when she went for an acid attack yeah, to treat somebody, oh, she had something thrown at her. So look, what I find really, really worrying about this whole thing is that Brexit is supposed to tell us how wonderful we are, you know, an open, great nation. And everyone's supposed to be quite, you know, boastful almost about how wonderful we are. And we can make our world in the, our way in the world in the, in the 21st century. This shows actually in our own backyard, not only is there a prevalence more of drugs and alcohol than ever before that's causing a massive problem in A&Es and, uh, um, you know, on, on the streets on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, it's like a bit like Magaluf has come home every single weekend on the streets of Britain in not big cities but in small towns as well. But beyond all that, it's not, these workers kept saying to me, it's not just the drink and the drugs, it's a general lack of respect for someone wearing a uniform and a lack of respect for people who've, who are basically trying to help others and that is very very depressing I mean I talked to the British transport police guy who said you know he was trying to sort out some racists on a train who were screaming abuse and he intervened and they were spat at and there were other people around him and did, who, who were joining in the aggro um, there was you know, a, an ambulance guy in Manchester who was thrown down some stairs by a guy who was upset that he wasn't there on time, that he was a few minutes late. And, you know, there was Nikki who was, you know, an IV bag was thrown at her across the, across the ward simply because this guy felt that he was frustrated, things weren't going his way. And that's what I find worrying. It's a general lack of civility. And, you know, what's the answer to that? Uh, tweet us hashtag uh, commons <laughs> people to find get our, get our civility back uh, thanks for listening everyone and huge thanks to tide.co for sponsoring today's episode don't forget to check out uh, the fantastic offer they're giving to our listeners at www.tide.co forward slash people and make sure you use the promo code people and we'll all be back next week and by the way if you're listening and you are clearly because you can hear my, me speaking to you right now make sure you log on to itunes and give us some good reviews not the kind of reviews i got for my books i want actual good reviews five stars all that kind of stuff because i need some love i'm feeling very very vulnerable thanks very much bye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.